I think like the engineering field gives you so many superpowers to be able to decompose problems. I think there is a dynamic of being interested in things as opposed to people. But because I was I started people centric with the engineering mindset in an environment where I was very socially isolated. So that made me focus on mindfulness and introspection. So I combined these things of needing to develop myself personally, needing to develop mindfulness and needing to, to solve problems. Couchbase is a SQL-friendly, multi-cloud-to-edge, NoSQL database architected on top of an open-source foundation. Join them at connect.online, their two-day virtual technical conference for developers that has over 60 deep-dive sessions where you can learn about Couchbase, hone your application development skills, and network with peers and tech experts. Ready to develop your path? Register for Connect today and learn more at couchbase.com develop your path. Hello, good morning, and welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. And I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, along with my wonderful co-hosts, Paul and Sarah. Good morning, y'all. Hey, Ben. Good morning. Hi, Paul. Hi, Sarah. So, Sarah, you brought on a terrific guest today. I'd love for you to introduce, and we can start chatting. Yes, um, I'm excited today to welcome my friend, Giovanni Beckford, who's an engineer at Google and also runs an amazing group that I'm a part of called the Personal Development Nerds. Welcome, Giovanni. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Personal Development Nerds, start there so we have our bearings. What, what's happening there? Sure. So the naming, of course, is very literal. The group started back in 2015. It originally was the result of a trip to Iceland. So I randomly took a trip to Iceland on two days notice after I left my first technical consulting job. And on that trip, I met 10 other amazing individuals and we ran our own mini unconference. And at that unconference, people were suggesting their own agenda, et cetera. And through that, we realized that, wow, this is something that should happen more regularly. How can we bring together people that are trying to share information and knowledge on a more regular basis. And so that that's when we started the Facebook group and eventually we started having town hall events and then the community blossomed from there. Okay, the way cool. you describe that, it <laughs> sounds like you, you went to Iceland and you just kind of ran into 10 people and were like, hey, or was there planning <laughs> to go to Iceland? They were all there to decompress and then they decided to work on personal development instead. No, so how that Iceland trip started, um, I have a friend in uh, San Francisco who was originally going to go to Iceland. It was supposed to be a two-person trip. Uh, my friend mm -hmm. from San Francisco was going to go to Iceland with his girlfriend. They broke up and so now he had an uh. extra ticket. <laughs> and then yeah. he invited one person that inspires him and then he asked that person to invite one person that inspired uh, them. So it started this daisy chain reaction of invitations until it got to like seven people. And then after that, they were like, okay, we're going to throw up an application to just cast a wider net and see who comes. And so I was like number 11 and the application was closed by that point. And I tweeted at the organizer to be like, hey, hey, uh, I know it's closed, but would you mind just taking a look at my application? And then he, the trip was on a Tuesday he said yes, Monday night. And so I quickly researched, found Wow Air, um, saw that Wow Air had like a, one ticket left. Went to, I, and I realized that it was out of Boston and I'm based in New York. So I had to catch like 
a 5 a.m. Greyhound bus from New York to Boston to, to go to Iceland with these people who I don't know on like a day and a half's notice after I just quit my job. Wow, that is wild. Wow. Help us understand, is this like a normal intense activity for you or was this really out of keeping? Like, were you surprising yourself or were you just like, nah, the hell with it, let's go? Yes and no. No in that <laughs> this was one of my first times leaving the country in like six years. I'm very domestically anchored. And so traveling with random people I haven't met to an international country is definitely outside of the normal zone for me. And then, so that's the answering the no. The yes is that I constantly look for areas in my life where they're, I'm just hovering in my comfort zone for too long and I try to break through those walls. Mm. And so this was just a textbook example of an opportunity that I could just take a chance and see what happens. But I'm definitely not an impulsive individual. I'm very risk calculated and methodological. So uh, I think there were some balanced opportunities with this, this event that I took the risk. So personal development, can you define that for us? Like when you got there to Iceland, was that what everyone else wanted to work on? Or how did that become sort of the core of what this group formed around? And what does personal development mean? Like when I hear that, I think of that can mean a million things in sort of like a self-help kind of way, a physical kind of way, exercise for an engineer learning a new language. Like what does personal development mean? And how did that become the focus for this group in Iceland? Yeah, so the group in Iceland was very diverse in interests and backgrounds. Some per people were interested in magic. Certain people were engineers. Certain people were content marketers. <laughs> uh, certain people were nomadic world travelers. So there were a wide range of backgrounds. And it was more so of, I have this trick. Do you want to see it? And so everyone was their mm. own unique magician in a way, showing them a different aspect of their world. And in the context of personal development, that was one area that I chose to introduce to the group. And there were other people on a similar wavelength. But for me, personal development is rooted in how can I find out what problems I'm facing going through the world and how can I develop myself to be capable to overcome those obstacles. So fundamentally, personal development is need-based for me as opposed to curiosity-based or insecurity-rooted. It has been a constant life journey. I grew up in the Bronx, raised by a single mom. And if I didn't improve, the world would have ate me alive, pretty much. And so personal development, to me, has become a way to reduce the suffering that I had experienced in my own like childhood and become a better person and a stronger person to help other people. I've heard you describe it as having an engineering mindset and turning that inward. Do you feel like that's kind of a skill that you developed when you were young and then realized that this now applied to a field that you're interested in? How do you think that evolution happened? Yeah. So engineering wasn't a normal phrasing that I had in my head. To me, it was, I thought in terms of problems and I thought in terms of breaking down problems and I thought in terms of piecing together things. So I was also a little kid that loved to play with Lego locks. And I know that this seems to be a common trait among tinkerers. <laughs> and growing up in the Bronx, there were just so few resources around. It was almost like I was in a time loop as well, because the culture and the environment was very small and closed the world onto itself, especially in the ghetto, in the projects. And I had to learn how to be very creative with those few res resources. And so I think that 
created a natural environment for me to awaken an engineering mindset. And so how that resulted in it was, okay, how do we go about making food last long? Because we don't have enough money to buy food. So my mom was very creative in how she strategically bought things at the grocery store, how she cut them, how she reused them. And that was also in terms of like how we got around and how we traveled. So it was really about being resourceful and figuring out how to overcome problems. Um, and then eventually, as I got more involved with technology and the catalyst was through games. So I was a big fan of Sims, Age of Empires, RuneScape, Guild Wars, a lot of these like massive multiplayer games where I got exposed to bots and like creating bots to farm resources. And that was kind of my, my mini education on not only technology, but economics and communication and the global dynamic of the world. And so my little globe of the ghetto and living in the hood became a much bigger world when I was playing with players from France, Germany, Italy, and all over the world. So my mind began to expand as I like just had fun playing games. Were you part of any clans or were you actually able to, as you were saying, sort of like turn that gaming into maybe making money on the side, you know, digital gold farming and then selling it on the secondary market? Um, I can neither confirm nor deny if I <laughs> participated in any, <laughs> any sort of gold selling. Yeah. But uh, I, I, was, I was a part of multiple clans in, in uh, RuneScape and in Guild Wars. I was part of groups. I was even made my way to tournaments. And I was in this, it, for, for Guild Wars, I was in this major tournament. And halfway through <laughs> the tournament, I was playing the monk of all things. So if you're familiar with the monk class or the healer class, it's a very, very central role. And so I was playing a monk on a very riggedy computer and my computer crashed halfway through. My team got wiped out. They kicked me out the guild. Oh, uh, heartbreaking. Uh, they kicked you out of the all guild. Right. But lack of empathy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? And at that, I was like, you know what? I'm done with games. And I quit games for like a year. They just stopped oh, everything. And then I kind of went back to RuneScape after that year. Cause like, no, it, at that point I had to wait until time passed where people forgot me in Guild Wars. Cause I kind of had like a big brand name. So my reputation was just ruined as being the monk that like lagged, oh, lagged out during tournament. They should have sent you a new computer. Forget about kicking you out. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. yeah some hardware. <laughs> RuneScape and, is rough in there. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, especially in RuneScape, there's like this element called the wild or the wilderness where it's it becomes this PvP zone and lagging in the wild where if you die, you basically shed all your equipment and armor that can take months or years. Uh, that's happened to me. Mm. And I was uh, during yeah. those phases, I had to get better at just like making my computer work. And I my family didn't have enough money to buy a computer, so we got donated computers by just nonprofits in the area, but they were so like less than a gig of RAM, so mm -hmm. slow CPU, filled with viruses. So I had to basically try to reverse engineer the computer just to get it to work to play games. And that's when I learned about the kernel. That's when I learned about operating systems, networking, how to reduce latency. And so I became essentially a hacker because I needed to get my computer to work so I could play games. I feel that this story of needing to take it apart, I empathize with it. I have a, a lot of friends who grew up in Canarsie and were getting old Commodore 64s and setting them up and manipulating the games inside and, you know, hex editing in order to, to do stuff. Like, I feel that this is a really important path in that often 
doesn't get talked about. But the question I really want to ask is personal development, personal fitness. These are a lot of a lot of your focus is on well-being. And are you still a gamer? Unfortunately, I'm not a gamer. I decided to quit games right when Gears of War came out. It was the biggest sacrifice of my life, I think. Uh, <laughs> and I did that because life got so real. It got so, the, the, the bar was so high in terms of dire consequences of the circumstances that we were living in, where we were on the edge of being evicted and homeless. And my mom was an advocate for education. And I realized that the, the games were becoming a little bit distracting. Eventually, I found my love of reading. So when I gave up games, I decided to, to read more books. And that was crucial. And my love of reading actually, as with everything, I think for me, is originates through entertainment. I actually lo- learned to love reading because of X-Men, ironically. So me and my friends would get into arguments all the time about who's like the best mutant uh, within X-Men. So it's this super powerful. Because like you were like, Rogue is obviously the best. And they were like... Maybe crazy. Is that what was happening? Or- exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and you're, you're spot on. And to I said, who was the best? I said, Rogue is the best. And, <laughs> and uh, they were like, no, it's Professor Xavier or it's Jean or Wolverine. I was like, Rogue has the ability to take other abilities. Yeah. Like, this is. It's like the meta. It's, all you it's need. a meta. Yeah. It's like a superpower. It's, it's a superpower of superpowers. It's like it's always the broken ability that always finds a way to get nerfed. After any series across all time, if you have that ability, the authors and writers will nerf you at some point in time. And so while while that ability exists, it's almost like you have to max it out while you have it. And in life, I realized that living in the environment that I was in, I didn't have as much mentors. Nobody in my family graduated college. I didn't have many people I can learn from to gather new abilities. And books I actually hated for 80% of my life. Because mm. whenever I got in trouble, it was, okay, stop going, play, stop playing games and go read a book. Whenever we got in trouble during class, it was about, mm-hmm. okay, now you guys are going to have to read like 50 extra pages. And so I had this right. association to punishment and reading. And I had to work really, really hard to unlearn that and find a way how to love what I read until I began to love reading. And Entertainment, X-Men, Heroes, the show by NBC, and some of these other shows where they had these protagonists who had this ability. In Heroes, it was classified as empathetic mimicry, uh, the ability to, to deeply mimic the ability of someone else through emotions. And with books, someone could take eight years to write a book, and it takes you eight hours to read. And if they've done a good job, what a cool way of looking at it. Yeah. Distilling that information, you could partially acquire the author's ability and their experiences. And so when I realized that, I was like, holy, <laughs> I need to like read freaking <laughs> a million books. So I was like, oh, how many books are in the world? And I'm like, oh, there are about 230 million books in the world, approximately. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I can read a million in my lifetime. How hard would <laughs> that be? And then I did the math and I was like, wait a minute. So you're saying if I read 50 books a year from the time I'm around 16, by the time I'm 80, I'll probably only have read about 2,200 books or so. Yeah. Choose wisely, my friend. Choose wisely. <laughs> yeah. So at that, I was like, all right, uh, I guess I can't read a million books, but I better get started on something now. 
<laughs> That's amazing. I One thing I've really appreciated about knowing you, Giovanni, the way that I've heard you talk about your childhood, those things were very difficult. And I, but one thing I think it's really empowered you to do is tackle really difficult problems that no one else would tackle in a way that is like, okay, this is a problem I need to solve. I'll use an example. I know you run also a very large community of people that go to Burning Man. And one time you and I were talking and you were like, so I need to build a plumbing system for our camp. (laughs) And you said it in such a flippant way. And I was like, okay, that sounds like something that is really difficult. And you're like, yeah, I'm learning all about plumbing. Like, and I have these schematics and you showed me the schematics. And I was like, oh, this is actually really, you're learning how to build a plumbing and building a plumbing system. (laughs) That sounds terrifying if it goes wrong. Right. But I don't think it did. I think, but, and so I've seen you do this quite often. And I've, I've seen that kind of also come to fruition in the personal development nerds group of people really attacking huge problems and having the support of others. It's been really neat to see. That's not a question. That's more of a comment. (laughs) (laughs) Where are you on things like Blinkist? Like, can, you know, do we have to read the whole book? So I I can definitely use a lot of parallels to software engineering. I think of summaries as unique compression algorithms. And Mm. as a reader of a summary, you have to have a decompression algorithm or even like uh, cryptography. So you have an encryption key and it takes a certain amount of effort to reverse that encryption, to expand it. And so with summaries, the writer of that summary has unique encoding that they're using to compress the information a certain way to emphasize certain things. And how you go about reading that, you may not have the right private keys to completely explode mm. and expand that summary into something that can unlock that wisdom within you. So things like Blinkist mm. are contextually effective, but in most cases, not that effective. It's like a, like a JPEG at 10%, right? Like it's yeah. just, it's, there's a lot of big <laughs> rectangles. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's yeah. a lot of lossiness in, in uh, summaries. You have to have enough experience and anchor points to really connect to the information. It can give you a gist of it, but I think emotions are key and time is key. So when you're reading a book, it's almost like this meditative experience. Sometimes mm-hmm. some books are repetitive but it's actually on purpose to create this like cognitive loop in your head. And in general, Mm. I think that there are some core elements to read faster. So what I found, I think speed reading is a myth, but I do think that it can be used situationally. So think of reading a book as in doing a a triathlon or a marathon race, where Mm -hmm. there are different types of courses. You have the swim, you have the bike ride, you have the hike. When you're reading a book, There are different points of density in the pages. So certain parts are skimmable, some anecdotes and experiences. Some other parts, you have to really slow down. But when it comes to summaries, I think summaries are most valuable to the author or people who have read the book. Where are you on bailing halfway through? When do you just say to hell with it? Or are you you a completist? I am a completist, but I will explain why. So I have a system called the book purgatory system. And it's where book recommendations go to await judgment day on whether they can be, whether I should read them or not. So if someone gives me a book recommendation, I'll add it to my list. And when I actually have the time to say like, okay, this may be relevant to something I'm going through, because I do very problem-driven reading. 
I'll go to that book's Goodreads. I like, I prefer Goodreads reviews over Amazon reviews because mm -hmm. Goodreads reviewers are brutal and they will just bash your book with ease. And so I go on Goodreads and I'll re I'll ignore the five-star reviews. Like five-star reviews don't give me much signal. I'll read the one and two-star reviews first to see like how passionately do you despise this book and are you giving good reasoning? And if I don't see enough like good reasoning, one and two-star reviews, then I'll be like, okay, these are haters. Let me go up to like the three-star reviews. And if I find a very thoughtful three-star three review and it's like, okay, this was a good book, but it didn't help me for my situation. Then I'm like, okay, I'm on to something here. I have this situation. This book may help me in this situation. I think it will be good for me. And so I'll try to get to books that are well-written, relevant to my situations, books that are don't fall into that, this should have been a blog post category. And I'll try to, to read that through. One thing you said that really struck me was that, you know, you need a certain decompression algorithm or you need that, you know, your personal key when you're talking about, right, like the Cliff Notes version of the book. And one thing I found is that over time, I've, I've lost the ability to read books. I was really a big reader in middle school and high school. And then as I've grown into a journalist and spend more and more time on Twitter, like I just don't have the attention span anymore. But I do have the time to do audiobooks. Like I love audiobooks when I'm doing chores. And one of the things that I find is that it, there is this sort of like, interaction between you and the book. If somebody spent eight years, like you said, and they're trying to distill eight years of their life, you have had personal experiences that can unlock certain knowledge that they're giving you or the reflection of their knowledge and your knowledge interacts in some way mm -hmm. to create an insight. And so reading a summary, you're just getting sort of like the highlights that maybe the author, these are the author's main points. But when you read the whole book, you and that person sort of engage in this dialogue and things come out of that that are personal to you and to the author. You know, it would change for everybody. And so in that sense, you know, the summary can be useful if you need to talk at a cocktail party, like what was this book about and what was the author's main point? But if you want to come away with sort of that personal growth, that knowledge that you talked about, which comes from how did this person distill their experience and how do I see that reflected in my experience? You know, reading the whole book gives you that opportunity. There aren't many reviews on Giovanni's website that get the 10 out of 10. In fact, I've only found one so far. The one book that's gotten the 10 that I could find is The Personal MBA, Master the Art of Business. And so it sounds like everybody should read that. How come? So, uh, yeah, I think it's relevant to the times. I think the, even though it's been published a, a number of years ago, in general, the author wondered, should I go to get my MBA or should I just figure out what is taught in these MBA programs at the best of the best and sort of aggregate all the, the core subjects and write a tome that is this kind of self-education manual for someone that wants to learn what you'll learn getting an MBA, excluding the network. Imagine if you already have a network and you, you don't really value the extra bonus that you would get through going through an MBA program, but you just want to learn the knowledge. So this book really covers that really well. And it is just a capstone book on fundamental business knowledge. But I will say that my site is currently going undergoing development. I'm migrating off of WordPress onto Gatsby.js. Ooh, cool. What a fun project. Yeah. So so that's been going going interesting. There have been some interesting edge cases I've hit across, but I think they're getting resolved quickly. But in general, my my site has like a five-year backlog when mm -hmm. it comes to books and ratings. So even though there are fewer 10-star reviews now, so in terms that's from my 2010 reading to my 2015-ish reading. Mm. And my reading started to peak in 2015. 
So post 2015 is when I started reading 60 books a year. And at that point, I got much more refined in my book purgatory system and started discovering higher caliber books. So when my site finishes, it's right now it's in early preview. So the new Gatsby version is up, but the content's not updated. If you go to Giovanni.com slash books, you'll be able to see my book reviews, but I'll have a lot more reviews to come uh, soon. Giovanni, can I ask you one question? How did you get into the world of, of working in engineering and, and I guess now working at Google? That sort of runs parallel to what you do in terms of personal development in your group. But can you tell us a little bit about the beginning of your career, like how you made that jump and, and how you started actually working in the software industry? To, to give some context, similar to like this conversation, my life is more of a graph network <laughs> instead of a, this linear <laughs> path. I started out as a designer. Uh, so design and, and art was my core passion. And when life got really, really hard, I realized that I wasn't going to be able to make a living off of art. So I decided to go to business school. And the year that I decided to go to business school was right after the 2008 collapse. And I was actually extra excited for because some reason I'm drawn to chaos. So right when the whole financial world was going <laughs> to flames, I was like, oh, I want to do business. And so I went to business school and I started studying finance and marketing. And in business school, I saw technology just taking off tremendously. And I knew it was something that I could probably find more opportunities in. But my school didn't have a strong computer science department. And I decided to stay in the business school and just teach myself how to code. So I ended up sacrificing all my spring and summer breaks and basically lived in the library and I just scoured the web for, for resources. And unfortunately, my first programming language was ActionScript. <laughs> was like the, Fascinating. the first, my first exposure <laughs> to programming language. And I think it was because of games and Flash. So not a bad place to start, though. I mean, you got all the it's, it's I mean, honestly, in some ways, it predicted the, the world we live in now. I think in retrospect, we can all look back and be like, yeah, honestly, all we've done is rebuild that for the last 10 years. Um, That's kind of true. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. So after after I realized that ActionScript maybe wasn't the right way to, to invest most of my time in, I decided to learn some JavaScript. And there were some early sites uh, like Tuts Plus, and I, I learned a lot from a number of those earlier tutorial writers there. Uh, I think John Resig, I think his name is, and and a sure. couple of other people were basically like my mentors. <laughs> of course, I didn't speak to them, but uh, I learned a lot from their materials and it really helped me to get a good grasp of front-end technologies. And I decided to stay on the front-end instead of the back-end because a lot of my design experience started to translate really well to building front-end interfaces. Eventually, I got a job in Wall Street after I graduated mixed with my business background and technical background, started working for S&P. And the time that I started working there was right during the Eurozone crisis and like the collapse of most of the, the Southern European countries. So I seem to have this timing around starting things when everything is, is on fire. So I'm very interesting to like, in hindsight, see what I've started during 2020. It might just be that everything's continually on fire. That, that might be part of it too. So for folks at home listening that are hearing you on our inspired to, you know, turn their engineering mindset internally, start thinking about how to improve themselves. Besides joining personal development nerds on Facebook and Discord, what are some tips for them to get started? 
I think for engineers, instead of trying to optimize external systems all the time, start taking stock of the life areas that you're in and how can you go about setting up processes or apply system thinking to find optimization patterns within your own life. Because I think that the, the human body, the mind is this interconnected system as well that has a lot of opportunity to, to find the bottlenecks and to, to develop it further. All right, y'all, it's that time of the episode. We're going to read a lifeboat here, shout out somebody who helped save some knowledge and spread it around Stack Overflow, and then we'll say our goodbye. So the question is, an error occurred while handling another error. Ugh, that's how life always goes. And then it's got a long string with some slashes here. Ye web headers already sent exception. This was awarded yesterday to Rob006. So thank you, Rob, for... Uh, helping to answer. Good job with those lifeboats, everybody. Giovanni, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your story with us and your perspective on personal development. If folks want to find you on the web or if they want to try out some of your techniques when it relate, as it relates to personal development, where can they find you and, and what websites or newsletters would you recommend? How should they dig into your stuff? Yeah, sure. You can definitely start by following me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Giovanni. That's J-U-V-O-N-I. Most of my social handles are just my first name. I lucked out on that. I think I'm going to be the, the next Oprah or something. But <laughs> yeah, so you can find me at uh, Giovanni.com as well. Or you can search on on Facebook for the Personal Development Nerds Facebook group and just mention how you heard about it so you can be approved faster. And we'll also have a Discord a link. You can go to pdn.community to be redirected to our Discord group. Very cool. That's great. great. All right, everybody. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Popper, and I can't help you with personal development. Sorry, can't help you. It's not what I do. <laughs> and I'm Sarah Chips, Director of Community here at Stack Overflow. You can find me at Sarah Joe on GitHub. Also, check out JewelBots. We just launched a new science kid to keep your kids busy while inside during the pandemic. Oh, yeah. STEM education at home. Beautiful. STEAM. And I'm Paul Ford. I'm the co-founder of a digital product company called Postlight and a friend of Stack Overflow. And you can check us out at JewelBots. I'm going to take my personal brand moment and send it back over to JewelBots. Congratulations, JewelBots. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.